All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we welcome you this morning. And we're going to be continuing our study this morning on knowing the Holy Spirit. And so we, we welcome you and joining us for that. We're on week 14 this week. We're going to, <coughs> excuse me, be talking more specifically about oil and wine and its relation to the Holy Spirit. And we'll be looking at that in more detail in just a few moments. Just so you know, all of our Bible, all of our teachings are archived on our website at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Or, excuse me, our website is lighthousediscipleship.org. And then our YouTube channel as well, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, where we have over 6,000 followers now uh, each week. And so uh, we also uh, thank you for our, our partners who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings. On our, uh, through our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. We do invite you to join us tonight for our Bible study at Effortless Change uh, at 6 o'clock, as well as Wednesday night, our Bible study at 7 o'clock on the Believer's Authority. Both of those studies are from the books written by Andrew Womack. And just so you know, too, uh, uh, and by the way, happy, happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Hosanna to our King. And uh, we will be talking about our King, but. Uh, uh, next week is Easter, and so we're going to pause our study. We're not going. We're not going to finish this week, but we're going to pause our study, and I will do an Easter message next Sunday uh, uh, for Easter. So, and then I'm titled that message: "Behold Your Resurrected King." And so we're going to be talking about the resurrection, and then we'll come back and finish this study before we go to our next series uh, very soon here. Uh, anyway, um, I think that's all the announcements I need to make it right now. So we're going to jump right into our study again. I want to kick off with our key verse <coughs> for the study um, um, from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. This is the last verse in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. <coughs> and he, he writes, Paul writes, he concludes his letter, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And as most of you know, I've been reading from the message translation on this particular verse of the last several weeks. And uh, it says, The amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay? And uh, as most of you know, I've been saying this every week, we talk a lot about the grace of God. We're going to be talking about that more specifically next week uh, so as we celebrate Easter. We talk a lot about the extravagant love of the Father. And in this particular series, we are highlighting the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. We want you to know Him. Know Him as your friend, as an intimate friend. And, uh, and in this series, we've been talking, you know, uh, a lot of different things about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about tongues and prophecy and all those are relation to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecost, different things of that nature. And now as we're kind of rounding third base uh, on this series, I'm, I'm steering us back to the friendship, the relationship. What this whole series is about, series is about excuse me, is knowing the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about knowing Jesus. We talk a lot about knowing God. And here, specifically, we're talking about the third member of the, of the Godhead and talk about knowing the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to know all three members uh, equally. Okay? So we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit, and uh, that's where we're going to kick off. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn back with me to uh, 
uh, excuse me, find my reference here, Luke chapter 10. We're going to go back to the, I want to recap a few things from last week because I introduced something uh, new that some of you probably have never heard before. And I want to recap some of that because that's going to be, for, uh, as I'm talking about oil and wine, this is my kickoff verse in this segment of our teaching. Uh, and so I want to, I'm going to refer everything back to this. But I also, and, 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 and prerequisite to that, I also mentioned that there's, there's a lot of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of purposes of the Holy Spirit. But I, there's two major ones. There's a lot of things the Holy Spirit does. And I'm not, just because it's not a major one, it's not important. And we, we've been talking about a lot of different things. We're, we've spent 14 hours talking about this so far. You know, now, and we're not quite done yet. And so, but there's two major functions. And the first one is basically to bring people to Christ. <laughs> Salvation. <coughs> you know, the, uh, the Holy Spirit will bring, bring people to Christ. That's his number one purpose. But the second purpose, those who have received Christ, <coughs> is to baptize believers into the Holy Spirit. To receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't have the second one without the first one. And you, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can still get to heaven. But you can't go anywhere if you don't have not received Christ. So that is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, to bring those in Christ. But those who are in Christ, it's to bring those in Christ into all truth. And the, the, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring us into all truth. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to highlight that a little bit later in our, in our series here. Okay? So, with that in mind, I also, uh, most of you have probably heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. We probably have heard that a lot. It's one of the most popular parables. But a lot of us, uh, I think, have heard it, and I include myself, I've heard through the years from a different context than what I, I suggested last week. And I, again, I just want to recap the, the story. I'm not going to necessarily read it all again this, today. I'm not going to spend as much time on it this week as I did last week. But a lawyer asked Jesus a question. And how many of you know that when a lawyer asks a question, they usually have a purpose behind that. There's always an agenda. A lawyer is a professional debater, okay? A lawyer does other things, but that's one of the aspects of a lawyer. And they ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Now, that's a logical question. I think that's a question of all questions. We all need to know, what do I need to do to be saved? That is the question. And so Jesus says, love the Lord your God, love and love your neighbor as yourself. And so then he asks a second question that stems from the <coughs> first question, because if I have to love God and love my neighbor and myself to be saved, then who's my neighbor? We all know who God is. I know some people still struggle with that. But, but who's my neighbor? Because I need to love my neighbor as part one of the, one of the qualifications to be saved. <coughs> so who's my neighbor? And so Jesus gives a story of what we call the Good Samaritan. And about how uh, a certain man was on a journey, and he, he fell among thieves. He was stripped, he was wounded, and he was left half dead. Three different things. I'll bring those, I'll bring, come back to those in a minute. And then a, 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 a priest came by, couldn't help him. A Levite came by, couldn't help him. They actually passed by the other side. He even says it came by chance. It came by chance and it crossed uh, over on the other side. But then a, 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 a Samaritan was on a journey, and he took him. He uh, put him on his beast. He actually, first he gave him oil and wine. We're going to come back to that because that's really what we're talking about right now. 
I'll put him on his beast, took him to the inn, and gave the innkeeper two pinnace or two uh, denarii, uh, and said, uh, 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 when I come back, if I owe you more, I'll give him more. And then he asked, uh, he, he, he tells a lawyer who asked the question, who, what am I, am I do to be saved? And uh, who is my neighbor? He asked him, who was neighbor to him who fell on thieves? And he, so he gave him a multiple choice question with multiple choice answers. Who, who was the neighbor? Was it the, the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Good Samaritan? Uh, and yet most of us all through the years have always said the good neighbor was the guy on the road. <laughs> well, that wasn't, the, that wasn't, it was a multiple choice question with the multiple choice answers, and that, that wasn't one of the four. When you take a, a test in school, or at the DMV, or whatever it might be, and you have a question, you can't, you can't give a fourth answer if it's not listed <laughs> in the multiple choice question. And yet even the lawyer answer was the one who showed him mercy and compassion, and that is his neighbor. So we need to love the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, we need to love the Good Samaritan. And love the Lord your God and your neighbor yourself. So, he gave a story. Who, he was answering the question, who's your neighbor? The neighbor was the Good Samaritan. That was the answer. Not the guy in the road. The guy in the road wasn't the... the uh, who was neighbor to him whom fell among thieves? Uh, the, the guy in the road was the object of, 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 of the neighbor. But who was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And whoever's neighbor is who we're supposed to love with all, as ourselves. And I, I, and then, then I gave the what I call the interpretation of that. And let me just catch up with my notes here. Okay, the certain man I believe uh, is Adam or mankind. When Adam fell, called the fall. When sin entered, there, there was no sin before Adam sinned. Sin, you know, Adam introduced sin and all that. When Adam sinned, he was stripped of his raiment. We have all been, he was stripped of his, uh, he, he was right before God. There was no sin. He was in right relationship with God. Righteousness is right relationship with God. He was in perfect union with God. There was no sin. There was no separation from God. He was wounded. <coughs> what do you mean by wounded? That's where sickness comes. There was no sickness before sin. Sin is part, sickness is part of the curse. But Jesus, God said, Paul said in, in Galatians that he's redeemed us from the curse. And we'll talk a lot about that later, but, and then he left them half dead. God told Adam, if you partake of this tree, you will surely die. And now he lived another, he lived a total of 930 years, so he didn't die physically, but he did die spiritually. I brought out several verses last week how when we were our trespasses and sins, we were dead spiritually. We were alienated from the life of God. Spiritually, we were dead. And I'm not, I know a lot of us can relate to that, uh, but, you know, but we were. And how do I know? Because I can bring out several scriptures how we were dead. And I'm going to be talking about the resurrection next week about Jesus. But we all were, we see Christ have been raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. <coughs> and so I'm going to be talking about that later, next week. But, and then I talk about how the priest and the Levite represent the law, represent religion. Uh, you know, and they couldn't help. They weren't designed to help. The, the law can't help you. The, the religion can't help you. The law was not given to save you. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. <coughs> the law doesn't have the capacity. It doesn't have the. It doesn't even have the mercy and the grace to, to, to save you. 
the law was to, given to to excuse me strengthen sin. The law was given to to show that you were guilty before God, that you needed a savior. In other words, the law was given to emphasize, to magnify your sin and your folly without a savior, that you needed a savior. Paul talks a lot about this in the book of Galatians, but in Galatians 4, he says, when the, when, when, but when the, when the uh, faith came, when Jesus came, we don't need the law no more, and, and that's it. The law is still holy, the law is good, I'm not bashing the law, but by keeping the law, you can't become holy and good. You can be only become holy and good by one thing, and that's receiving Jesus Christ. And even then, we still keep the law. We don't keep the law to become saved, but we still keep the law because we are saved. We still don't murder. We still don't bear false witness. We still don't commit adultery. We still don't cheat and lie and all these other things. We still don't do that. Why? Not to become holy, but because we are holy. The law is good, but the law can do one thing and pass by the other side. But then the Good Samaritan came, and he poured oil and wine, and we're going to come back to that, and then he put him on his beast and put, put him in the inn, I believe the inn of the church. And he gave the innkeeper, I would believe the Holy, the Holy Spirit, two pennies. <coughs> and he also said, when I come back, which speaks, I believe, of the second coming. He's coming again. And, uh, I, and I spoke some things about that, and you just have to watch our archives about some of those notes. So with all that being said, I believe the neighbor is Jesus. I believe we need to love Jesus like we love ourselves. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, do I think that we shouldn't be neighborly to the guy in the road? I, believe, I can bring out a lot of scriptures. I can bring hundreds of scriptures out how we should be, have compassion on the needy, how we should help one another, and how we should uh, uh, bear with one another. I can bring out a lot of scriptures. So I'm not, for, I'm not forgoing that principle. But what I'm bringing out of this particular parable, I believe Jesus preached the gospel in this simple parable parable called the Good Samaritan. And, uh, but let's go back to, if you have your Bibles, you should be in Luke chapter uh, 10. And let's go, let's look at verse 24. Let me uh, catch up with you. week and I'm trying to catch up to where we are this week. So here we are, Luke 10, 34. And so he, the Good Samaritan, which I believe he is, went to him who was on the road and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. I'm just focusing right now on this oil and wine, and that's what I'm going to do the remainder of the day. And possibly even two weeks from now when we come back after Easter. I don't know if I'll finish all my notes on this oil and wine. But I don't know about you, but even growing up, when I even heard the other version of the Good Samaritan, I always thought it was odd that he poured oil and wine to his wounds. Now, I understand, you know, I, I understand oil can be used for healing. I, I, could, I could probably uh, uh, reason with that. 
And uh, I've watched a lot of Westerns growing up, and sometimes when they did have a bullet, whatever, they did pour alcohol on, on, on the wound, you know, to, I guess, sterilize it. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, not a, I'm not a cowboy, so I, I haven't never done that. So I could reason cut some of that, too. But it just, uh, but, uh, but anyway, this point of oil and wine. We're gonna we're gonna look at several scriptures about this now. <coughs> I'm gonna give you some of the answers, but then we're gonna come back and look at those answers and let scripture uh, uh, define scripture. Okay, but I believe this oil and wine are tied to the Holy Spirit and these two major functions that I I talked about: salvation and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe the oil represents the working of the Holy Spirit to bring us to the new birth. The oil. It's talking about salvation, bring us in a new birth. And I believe wine is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And those two things, those two major functions of the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to spend the rest of our time now uh, bringing that, uh, uh, expounding on that. You know, it's kind of like a lawyer. I'm bringing my opening statement now. I'm going to bring all the evidence for that. And then I'll come back with a closing statement at the end. Okay? So, with that in mind, go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I'm not going to read all of this. Uh, just go ahead and get, get in that territory. Like, I, don't want, I don't want to spend time reading everything. But this is what, with the birth of the church. And I already spent many uh, spent weeks about talking about the rest, mighty Russian wind. I spent time talking about... Uh, the day of Pentecost, when the Feast of Weeks, and when Pentecost had unfolded, come. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, it does say in verse 4 that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then it talked about because it was a Feast of Weeks, every male had to come to these three feasts that they had every year. And this particular one was the Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of Pentecost. And so there was a lot of nationals in town because uh, because of the peace. And it says that, uh, <clears throat> uh, figure verse 5, And there dwelling in the Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multiple came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. And then they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look at these are, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now, I'm not, not going to read all these languages. Verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, uh, I'll pick it up. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And we talked a lot about some of that in the weeks before. But then he says, but then verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to wonder, whatever could this mean? Others mocked. How many you know you will always have the mockers? You will always have the mockers on this side of heaven. Others mocked, mocking, saying they are full of new wine. But Peter, Peter's responding to this mockery <coughs> and some of this confusion and astonishment. But Peter, standing up with us eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who are dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God, that says God, that I will pour out my spirit on my all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my, on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I shall show I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a lot being said here, but uh, some of the mockery was these men are drunk, as are drunk on wine. That was one of the mockeries. But in one sense, it was also one of the manifestations. Not only did they speak in tongues, but they, they, they appeared to be drunk on wine. But Peter, addressing that mockery, specifically the mockery about these guys are not drunk, it's only the third hour of the day. You know, they don't even have time to get drunk. You know, it's only the third hour of the day. You know, even there's no even logic to that. But at the same point in time, what, what scripture does he use to justify or as evidence of the, of the he, he began, in other words, he begins to say, this is from, uh, the, he explains what is happening from what was written by the prophet Joel. <coughs> now, Peter doesn't quote everything from Joel. He quotes a pretty good section of it, but he quotes from Joel chapter 2. So let's go back to Joel chapter 2, where Peter is quoting from, as he's explaining specifically how this is not, they're not drunk, but this is what prophesied by the Holy Spirit. So go with me, if you will, to Joel chapter 2. In case you can't find it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Okay, if you get to Ezekiel, it's about two or three books to the right. You got the major prophets after Daniel. Daniel's considered a major prophet, and then you get Hosea and then Joel. Okay, the second are the minor prophets, not because they, they're insignificant. It's just based on the volume of the writings. Okay, but in Joel chapter two is where we're going to pick it up, and we're going to pick it up in verse twenty-three. Okay, now Peter starts quoting around verse twenty-eight, but we're going to read some of the preceding verses. And the context of what Peter's quoting from. You guys follow me so far? Okay. So let's pick it up verse 23. We're in Joel chapter 2 verse 23. Peter's quoting. He picks it up in verse 28. But we're going to pick it up in verse 23. Be glad in you children of Zion. And rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully. And he, he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Now, I just want to pause here just for a second and make a quick little note. He says, Be glad in you children of Zion. Who is Zion? We're going to look, we're going to see three different terminologies here. They're not the main focus of this teaching right now, but I just want to bring some clarity. You're going to hear Zion, you're going to hear Israel, and you're going to hear Jerusalem. And I, I'm not, this is not the scope of my teaching, but I can, I can tell you that Zion, Israel, and Jerusalem all speak to about the church. I'll speak about the bride. Specifically Zion. Uh, I'm not going to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we have come, we the believers have come to Mount Zion. 
We are the children of Zion. Jews and Gentiles alike, we have come to Mount Zion. Okay? There's a lot of scriptures I can bring about Zion. It speaks about the church. It speaks about the believers. It speaks uh, to us. Okay? How many of you know believers can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In other words, if, I, if, if what I said earlier, and I'm going to bring scriptures to bring this out, oil speaks of salvation, wine speaks of believers. How many of you know there's only believers that can have the wine? <laughs> okay? It's only the believers that can have the wine. Verse 24. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. We're going to come back to verse 24. That's our main verse that we're going to focus on. I'm going to come back there. In verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of the, of the guy at the Jericho Road who fell among thieves. He got he was stripped, he was wounded, and left half dead. I mean, this was judgment on, on natural Israel, and this time, Joel was prophesying, but how I many know prophecy can have a dual meaning sometimes? It can have a current meaning, but it can also have a futuristic meaning. And there's a prophecy here. And how I many of you know if you've been in sin, you've been stripped. You've been wounded, and you've been left for half dead. How I many know the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy? Okay? And many of us have, and there's, there's many there's different kinds of locusts here. He's not talking about bugs. Okay? At the same point in time, there's there's an intensity. There's, there's, a, there's a swarming locust. There's a crawling locust. There's a consuming locust. There's a chewing locust. In other words, I see an, uh, uh, an escalation of this locust and whatnot. And, and some people have, there's a whole other teaching. I've taught this before years ago. But, you know, it's just, it's a judgment. God's judgment uh, on sin. I mean, no, God has already judged sin through Jesus here in the New Testament. This is Old Testament. We're going to come back to some of this a little bit later. Verse 26. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt, dealt wonderfully with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Who's Israel? Israel. Paul talks about this in Romans 9. Yes, we have natural Israel. I'm not taking away from that. But Paul also brings out in Romans 9. I'm not going to teach on that right now. Not all Israel are of Israel. Paul also teaches in Galatians 3, verse 29, if we are Christ and we are Abraham's seed and, 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 and heirs of the promise. There's a, there's a natural seed and a spiritual seed. The promises that God made to Abraham were not to him, but to his seed. And if we are, of, how many know, Isaac was naturally his seed, but Paul... Paul brings this out specifically in Galatians, how he was speaking of Jesus to see where the promise would come. And he brings out in Galatians 3 that if we are in Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. So there's a natural Israel, but there's a spiritual Israel. And if we are the church, if we are of Christ, then we are of Abraham's seed. We are spiritual Israel. Okay? Not everyone who's of Israel in Israel is of Israel. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 9. I'm not going to go into all that. Uh, okay. 
Verse 27 again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel. I am your, the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And, now I want you to know something here real quick. Eight times between verse 23 and 20, and, and all the way to the end of verse 32, the, Joel uses the word and eight times. <laughs> I mean, we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is only one of the things, of the eight things that Joel prophesies in this context. Eight times he uses the word and. You ever, I don't know about you, but growing up I saw a lot of commercials, or advertisements. While I was watching Westerns, I Love Lucy and all those other shows, and there would be, always be an advertisement, and there's more, and there's more. There would always be, the, well, there's, there's a lot that the Holy Spirit does, there's a lot that God has promised to his people. But this is where Peter picks it up, verse 28, and he said that I shall pass, pass, after, pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and so on. I'm not going to read all that all over again. Let's jump down to verse 32 real quick. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, there's that word Zion again, and in Jerusalem, I can talk about Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, the angel comes to John and says, Let me show you the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ comes down. It's a new Jerusalem. And there's other scriptures I can bring out. Jerusalem speaks of the bride of Christ. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. And the Lord has said, Among the remnant whom the Lord calls. There's a lot here. I'm not, I'm not here to dissect this whole section, this whole context. I want to go back to verse 24. Okay. <clears throat> the threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Okay. So there's a lot here. I hope you, if you're following me so far, I know I read a lot of context. I read it fast. I'm talking fast. Now I want to slow down a little bit and come back to verse 24. The threshing floors. I believe the floors represent, you know, you got one thing you got to understand about prophecy is that with prophecy, <clears throat> there's a lot of symbolism, okay? And you'll find some of these symbolisms are very consistent throughout the specifically Old Testament prophecy. And I believe these threshing floors just represent the earth. Uh, you know, it says in Psalm 100 how the earth is God's footstool, okay? Uh, the earth is his footstool. It talks about the earth, the threshing floor. That's not so important in the context of what we're talking about. But he says the threshing floor shall be full of wheat. I believe the wheat speaks of harvest. Okay? There's a lot of, there's a lot of especially in the parables of Jesus, a lot about wheat and harvest. Okay? But then he says your vats. What are vats? Vats are vessels. We are vessels full with wine. We are, we are jars of clay. They're vessels. He says, your vessels, your vats to overflow with, let me catch up with that, with new wine and oil, okay? <clears throat> overflow with new wine and oil. It is overflowing. Then he said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. I will restore to you the judgment that had come. That, 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 that. I mean, no, when, when you are living in sin, or you are living under the curse, 
sick, I mean, you know, sickness sometimes, some diseases. The enemy has stripped some of you. The enemy has wounded some of you. The enemy has left some of you half dead, not just physically speaking, not just emotionally speaking, some of you. I mean, those who are suffering with depression or have been victimized, their, their decency of life has been stripped. They've been wounded. In many ways, there's many people, they might be financially secure, whatever, but because of something that, some tragedy that happened in their life, they are emotionally warped. In one sense, they're half dead. There's no decency of life. And I can take this from a lot of different angles, whether it be sin and addiction, or whether it's been some immoral, uh, uh, maybe you got caught in an affair, or whatever it might be, but it's still, and it's stripped you of your marriage, your kids, your family, your legacy, your, and, uh, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you don't have, uh, it, it, there's some people, because of sin, or sickness, or, or financial things, or, or relational things, or, or all the above. Like Job, you've been you've been wounded, you've been stripped, you're like you're like the guy on the Jericho Road, you're lost, you've been wounded, you fell among thieves. The law couldn't help you, religion couldn't help you, but Jesus came and found you in that Jericho Road, and he set you on a rock and he put you in his church to heal you, to nurture you, to gave you the Holy Spirit to guide you in all truth. And he said, I'm gonna to restore to you the, the locusts I've eaten, all of the locusts. And I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. And there's going to be rejoicing in Zion. There's going to be life in Zion. But your vats are going to overflow with new wine and oil. I don't know if you're getting the picture yet. And I'm not fully there describing everything. But, but this is awesome. What God wants to do. The point, I'll point the Holy Spirit. I believe it centers with these two things. Yes, there's some other aspects of it. We don't have the gifts just so we can have the gifts. We have the gifts so God can use us by His Spirit to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to fill them with new wine and new oil so they too can minister to other people. That's the function of the Holy Spirit. He didn't give you gifts just so you can operate in gifts. He gave you gifts so that people in these last days can receive Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit so they can be empowered to be a witness to other people. But we can't empower you to be a witness to other people till we get you cleaned up and healed first. That makes sense? But that, but Jesus, when he sent out the 12, he sent out the 70, he said, freely you receive, now freely give. We need to give, but you can't give something you don't have. you got to get it first. got to receive it. There's a time to receive, and then there's a time to operate. And, 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 and even when you're ministering, doesn't mean you're not going to still... Uh, have some issues along the way where you, the church should be a safe place where you can get healed and nurtured and comforted and edified by the body of Christ. The gifts of the youth, you know, so we can encourage one another, edify, exhort one another, comfort one another with these gifts. How many know there's a world out there that, that will beat you up? And it, but we need the, the Spirit of God. We need the body of Christ at any time in these last days. And it's been these last days for, since Christ went to heaven. And he poured out his spirit in these last days. It's been these last days for 2,000 years. But he gave the, he gave the innkeeper, the, 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 church, the Holy Spirit, two penance to take care of us until he comes again. And he's coming again. But he's not coming to redeem you. He's coming as our Lord and our King. 
He is our Lord and our King. But he's given us his Holy Spirit. So we can be ministered to. We can be led into all truth. We can be empowered to live this Christian life and be empowered to minister to other people. And he's given us fats overflowing with new wine and oil. This is power. This is awesome. And if you might have wasted time. The enemy might have stripped you. You might have lost decades of time because of sin or sickness. But he says, I'm coming to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God wants to restore. He's in the restoring. But I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture. Where God said, when God restores, he always restores double. Always. Every single time. I don't care what Satan's taking from you. God always restores double. And I even read, there's even a verse where if the enemy stolen from you, you can demand seven times back from Satan. Well, he's stolen from you. But God always restores double. If you have shame, he says in Isaiah 61, it's the same passage we all quote, but the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. You go down to jump verse 7, I believe it is. He says, instead of shame, you shall have double honor. God always, Job, God restored double God always restored double. You might look like a barren place, but God says you will be like the garden of Eden again. There's several scriptures I can bring out about that. God will restore. And he, and he wants to restore you so you are overflowing, so you can minister to one another. It's not about being, look, I got the Holy Spirit, I'm more spiritual than you. No. Don't tell me you're more spiritual than I am. Show me. By encouraging, exhorting, uh, uh, ministering, edifying. You know, I've, I've received more ministry sometimes from the janitor than some pastors. And some churches. Not every church, but because they're ministering to people. They're not preaching, they're not in a hierarchy. They're just genuinely ministering under the function of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, we're going to come back to some of this a little bit later, but jump with me to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And we'll pick it up in verse, verse 13, I believe. Psalm 104. Verse 13. And he says, And he waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the servants of men, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Verse 15. <coughs> and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Now, I'm not so focused on the bread right now, but I mean the bread speaks of the Word of God. And I know some people are anti-bread, but according to this scripture, bread strengthens the man's heart. Now, I know some people will debate that. That's fine. Uh, but I also, more specifically, I don't think this is talking about bread itself. It's talking about the Word of God. God, the bread of God. How many know Jesus is the bread of life? And we, uh, he gives us his daily bread. 
I believe it's speaking of the word of God. It's strengthened man's heart. You try, uh, let me just pick back on this just for a moment. It says in Deuteronomy 8.3 that we, it's, it's, uh, uh, we, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, it's the proceeding mouth word of God. I just want to take you back on just this bread for a moment. This is not the main scope of my message here about oil and wine. But, you know, it says in Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs chapter 4, I'm not going to give all the references here, but we're supposed to keep his word in our heart, in the midst of our heart. They are life to us, to those who find it, and they are health to all of our flesh. We've been talking about that on Sunday nights, and we'll be talking about that again tonight. But it's something about the proceeding word of God. I just want to piggyback on this. There's something Dwayne Sheriff said about this, and I just want to take, make a little, one little note about this. You know, uh, some of us will get a word from God. God will give you a word, and praise God for that. Because, you know, when we talk about the, the, the Holy Spirit, people do get words, people do get prophecies. People do get words for themselves, and we're all for that. We all we encourage that. We we don't despise that. We don't despise the gifts. We don't forbid the gifts. At the same point in time, God may have told you gave you a word years ago, but my question, <coughs> but it's the proceeding word of God. It's always it's always coming forth. For example, and here's an example Dwayne Sheriff used, and I like this example. God told Isaac, God told Abraham to offer up Isaac. And he, he was going forth with that. But further on in the story, God told Abraham not to harm his son. And, you know, he would, he, we need to be always attentive to God. He might lead you in a direction, but sometimes you need to know what is he saying today. You know, um, some people might say, well, I received the Holy Spirit in 1922. Praise God. But what's he telling you today? Well, years ago, God gave me this word. Praise God. But what's he telling you today? What's he telling you now? Where are you at today in your walk with God? It's a daily walk. It's a walk. It's not just a visit and I stay and I don't grow. It's a walk with God. We're walking in the Spirit. We're walking with God. Did you, in other words... As you are on your journey with God, have you along the way checked back with headquarters? In most religious churches today, Isaac would be dead, and they would have built an altar worshiping a dead boy. And I know that I'm being facetious, but the Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. And it's our daily bread. And God told Abraham to offer Isaac, but he also told him not to harm him. We have a relationship with God. Now, I know this is an Old Testament story, and there, 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 there was a purpose for that. But that was God's conversation to Abraham in that moment, because it was a lesson being taught there. And my, thing, my point this is that we need to keep hearing God. There's a lot of voices. And we need a fresh word. And a fresh word for today, you know. And anyway, there's a lot I can talk about this, and this is not the scope. But I hope I'm not just getting off rail. Let's go back to Psalm 104, verse 15. Here, it says, "And that wine makes glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread that strengthens a man's heart. Bread, the word of God, will strengthen your heart. You cannot live without the word of God. You cannot live, especially in these last days." Even when everything's going good, you can't even make it. 
let alone when everything's going bad. But he says, let me, I'll go backwards. Oil to make the face shine. Oil makes the face shine. Some of you ladies and stuff, you will put all kinds of oils and cosmetics on your face to try to get it nice and shiny or, or looking better. But, and I know this is all symbolism, but I, again, oil, I believe, is in response to receiving Christ, being born again. But have you ever met someone who just became born again? They're, they are radiant. Their faces shine. I can show you in a room a hundred people who's been born again, who's not. You can just tell. There's a shine. I understand some get dusty along the way. Some can lose a little uh, armor all, uh, whatever, you know, shining. That's because they haven't been in the Word or whatever, and they become still. And I've been there. I've been there where I'm not in the Word like I should and, and whatnot, and I get rusty. It doesn't take long to get rusty. But, but, but there's a shine when someone becomes born again. Their faces shine. They've met Jesus. It's like the apostles were, they were being questioned by the religious leaders. They could tell that these men had been with Jesus. There's a glory that reflects of those who've been born again. But then wine that makes glad the heart of man. Wine makes the... Have you ever seen someone drink wine and not be happy? <laughs> okay? Why? And why is this so? Why is wine the representation of the Holy Spirit? You know, don't the scriptures condemn drunkenness? He didn't say be drunk. <laughs> you know, nowhere here has he talked about being drunk. But in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, it does like, you know, a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're not supposed to be drunk. But instead... And we'll come to this scripture later, but in Ephesians 5, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in Psalms, see how the spiritual Psalms, see and making melody in your hearts of the Lord. But let me just ask a rhetorical question. Why do people get drunk? Why do people even drink, for that matter? To be free. Sometimes to be bold. There's some things you will do drunk that you won't do sober. Now, I'm not saying this because I know, because I've never been drunk and never drinking anything. <laughs> Of that nature. People who know me, I don't even drink soda. I don't drink coffee. I drink water, milk, and occasional orange juice, as you can tell. Uh, if you've seen me drink it on, 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 on when I speak on sometimes. But the number one mission again of the Holy Spirit is to bring is is, is to the lost. Is to get oil to you, to get you saved, to get you found. There's a Jesus, when he talked about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 6, he talked about three things that the Holy Spirit does, and one of them is to convict the world of sin. Because they believe, not me. The number one thing that the Holy Spirit is to get oil to you. But once he gets the oil in you, causing your face to shine and you become born again, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit to a believer, not the world, is to get the wine in you. God wants to fill you with the Spirit and with wine so that He can lead you and guide you in all truth so that you can be bold. You know, there's, there's something different. Peter, who denied Jesus three times before the cross, and 50 days later, after the cross, 
He's the one that got up and spoke. He's the one that got bold. He had the oil because he'd been with Jesus, but he just got the wine. And he became bold. And the other apostles became bold. And in Acts chapter 2, they pray, uh, 4, I think it was, they prayed for more boldness. There was a boldness that came. There was a gladness that came too. And, and, and whatnot. You know, when you sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord, there's a gladness about it. And those of us who have received Jesus, we have the oil. Those of us who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have the wine. There is something to shout about. There's something to sing about. There's something to celebrate about. There's something to be happy about. There's something to be glad about. And what we have to be happy and glad about supersedes anything we could be discouraged about. What you have in Christ, what you have in the oil and the salvation, this oil and the wine that he's poured on us on the Jericho Road when he found us. We didn't find him, he found us. He wasn't lost. We were. He wasn't stripped, wounded, and left half dead. We were. He found us and poured, gave us oil and wine, saved us, and filled us with his Holy Spirit. And he says he's going to restore the years of the workers of Eden, and he's going to pour out his Spirit. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, go back there, go back with me to Joel real quick. Joel chapter 2. I know I spent a little bit of time on this already, but verse 25 talks about these, these locusts and these they, they, they talk about the depending on which translation you look at. I'm gonna my notes are from the King James, not the New King James. But talk about the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the pommel worm, and the locust. How do you know, back with the guy on the Jericho Road, the enemy has stolen a lot. And I, I, I'm trying to communicate what's in my spirit to speak to you about this. But I'm speaking to both of those who have been lost and those who are saved. There's some things that the Satan has stolen from you. Sickness. Time. Years, money, relationships, uh, your legacy, your shame, your, I mean, your, your integrity, your, uh, you know, there's all kinds of stuff the enemy has stolen from you. He stripped you, he's wounded you, he's, some of you he's left for half dead. You might be saved, but miserable, because you've just been, you're still on the Jericho Road. <laughs> Because you, you look to religion and it just passed you by. You look to the law and it just passed you by. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to, to, to pour oil and wine to put you in this beast to take you to the end where you can get recovered. And, 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 and we need to know our neighbor, Jesus. But he can give us the oil of his salvation, the wine of his spirit, restoring to you the years the locusts have eaten, guiding you in all truth. You know, this is not a time to be complacent. This is not a time to be looking, licking your wounds. This is not a time to be sorry for yourself. This is a time to receive the oil and the wine from your Savior, from your intimate friend, the Holy Spirit, your innkeeper, 
so that you can get healed, set free, and be free, and empowered to go and heal the sick, raise the dead, freely you receive, freely you give. But some of you have been in the end too long. In a sense, I don't think we, we should always be in the church, but we need to. You've been on that road so long. You're holding up a sign saying, I'll work for food. When you and I are all about working. <coughs> but there's, there's things that Jesus said, be occupied until he comes. And there's work to do. There's people who need Jesus. And you've just been licking your wounds. And, and I understand because no, no one's been helping you. But receive Jesus. Receive the oil of his salvation. Receive his wine. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You know, uh, go with me real quick. I wasn't going to go here, but go with me to, real quick to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And I'm not sure what verse, but here. I go towards the end. Uh, I think, uh, let's start with verse 15. This is the church of Laodicea. This is what we call the lukewarm church. I mean, how you know in Revelation 2 3, Jesus addresses seven churches. But he said in verse 15, he says, I know that your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I, I can wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's not so much what I want to get to. I want to get to verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched. Miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I don't know about you, but that last description about being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked sounds a lot like the guy on the Jericho Road. It sounds a lot like we were. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve, and that you may see. And he said, I stand at the door and knock. He's not knocking to the world. He's not standing at the world. He's standing at the door of his church. Jesus wants to come in. Your friend, the Holy Spirit, wants to come in and be with you and sup with you and have a friendship with you. He wants you to know his amazing love. He goes on to say, uh, at the end, verse 22, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says that seven times in these two chapters, to all seven churches, the Spirit of God wants to come in and sup with you. But some of you think, you're okay. My family's okay. We're, all, we're good. But you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, blind, poor, naked. And that's a deception. You know, you think you're okay, but you're not okay. And some of you have been not okay for years, for decades, a lifetime. The enemy has stripped you, and you just think, well, my, my, you, you, you might even realize some of the situations you're in because of your own folly, because of your own mistake. That might be true. But it is not true that you're supposed to just take it and live with it. No, you have a Redeemer. You have a Jesus who died for you, who came on the Jericho Road and found you, gave you his oil and wine, took you in his beast to bring you in the end so you can be healed, so you can be used. It's not God's will, no matter what. You might have done 
worse than bad that got you in the place that you're in. But God's not will for you to stay broken and to stay poor and to stay without. God wants to, to redeem you, restore you, and fill you with his oil and his wine. So the vats are overflowing. He wants to restore the year that the locusts and the, the, have eaten. He wants to fill you with your spirit. He wants to use you in these last days. <coughs> God has been has is is he's in the restoring business. There's not one Old Testament or New Testament character that I cannot say that God did not restore them. I mean, some of the people that we applaud the most were murderers. Moses, Paul, David, they were murderers. In most of our churches today, we wouldn't even allow them in. There's not, there's, as Andrew Womack says all the time, there's not anyone qualified working for him yet. It's not about your qualifications. It's about his qualifications, and he has come to redeem you. The law can't help. Religion can't help. But Jesus can, and he's enough. And his spirit can lead you and guide you in all truth. Not to get your... And some of you, God can't use you in your condition because you're broken. But God wants to heal you and restore you and empower you to use you as a vessel in these last days, as a jar of clay in these last days, that he can pour out his spirit upon you. And you can heal the sick and set the captives free. Isaiah 61. We're going to get there eventually. We haven't got there yet. Uh, but we're going to get there eventually. But he wants to, he wants to set you free. Okay? Um, right. Sorry, I got some of my notes here. I'm almost out of time here. Let's go with me real quick to Matthew 25. And I'm necessarily going to read all of this. <coughs> Some of you know the story. I guess, again, this is a, a parable of the wise and foolish virgins, or also known as the ten virgins. But there's ten virgins, and I'll read some of this. But, verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Okay, it's not very, it's very easy. You got ten virgins, five are wise, five are foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed and they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish one, foolish said to all the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, that's there should be not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And they and, and while they were, went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to him, and the wedding and the door was shut. So we got we got ten virgins, five are wise, five are foolish. And the, 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 the wise ones have oil. The foolish ones have no oil. Okay, there's nothing about wine in this, this passage. I mean, you know, again, oil, I believe, is about salvation. 
Wine is about the Holy Spirit. You don't need wine to go to heaven. You need oil. And the wise ones have oil. The foolish ones have no oil. We need to be, I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. And, and, and so, so you don't, wine is not required, but oil is required to go to heaven. And, and the symbolism that's being used here. Follow me so far? Okay. Now let me just say this. Going back to Psalm 104, verse 15. And you don't necessarily need to turn there. I kind of talked about it. But again, this whole while, you know, this whole, there's three things that are mentioned in Psalm 104, verse 15. Bread, wine, and oil. And we already talked about that. Bread being the word of God, oil being salvation, and wine being the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've been to some churches where there's a lot of bread and there's a lot of oil, but there's no wine. It's dry. It's very dry. But I've also been to some churches that they have the wine, but there's no bread. There's no bread. The Word. That, and if you have, I mean, just even naturally speaking, I don't drink wine and I don't drink alcohol, but if you have wine and no bread, that will make you sick. And it will also make you goofy. And there's some churches who have a, they emphasize the wine, but not the bread, and they are sick, and they are goofy. And I'm not trying to judge them, but I don't know about you, but we need all three. We need the bread. We definitely need the oil. But we need the wine, too. I want all three. I want everything God has for me. Okay? I want all three. Now let's go uh, one more path of scripture. I just have a few more minutes. Go to Psalm 133. It's a very short psalm. There's only three verses. So I'll go ahead and read it. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Very short psalm. But he talks about how he says it's pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. I don't know if you remember, I think I still have it on my notes here. But uh, um, when we were talking about those three kinds of baptisms, we have the first baptism is being baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. When you become saved, the first thing the Holy Spirit does automatically is he baptizes you into the body of Christ. And if you are in the body of Christ, then as a church we are brethren. And how and he says it's pleasant, it's pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head. There's only, oil represents salvation. And the only way to have brethren is to be part of the body of Christ, which means to be born again. But remember, we were talking a lot in the, in the last two weeks from uh, uh, Corinthians. And Corinthians had a lot of disunity problems. They, they, they were strife all over the place. They just had some issues. And there's some churches I've been to, there's a lot of disunity. You know, and we, the, uh, 
But when there's unity, it is like precious oil upon the head. Now, you talk about running down the beard and the beard of Aaron and all that, you know. When we anoint people today, we just do a little stuff. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, they poured that. They poured that puppy down. I mean, they just ran down their, their face, their beard, whatnot. Jack Haber, some of you might know him, when he, he anoints people. Uh, I mean, it's what I call the sloppy agape. You know, he just, he, he, he's, he's not stingy at all. I mean, his hands are just dripping with oil, and he anoints. I know that's messy, and a lot of us don't like the messy part, but I like the symbolism about it. I don't want just a dot of the Holy Spirit. I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's the oil that makes us brethren, not the wine. Notice that. The oil makes us brethren, not the wine. Salvation, baptism, the body of Christ. But many will not fellowship unless they have oil. Some, my point I'm trying to bring out right now, there's some churches, they won't let you fellowship unless you have the oil and the wine. So, in other words, some churches will not allow you to be part of the church unless you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's some Bible schools that, on the opposite side, uh, that, 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 um, that won't even allow you to be a part of their Bible school if you have received the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot of Bible schools out there, uh, churches that won't allow you to be if you have the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have the wine, you know. And I, I, I'm only making a little small point here, but uh, in this church, we have oil, wine, and bread. We embrace the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We definitely embrace the oil. You know, you can't even get in the church without the oil. Some churches have membership. We only have really one membership. That's uh, like here, and uh, you receive Christ. <laughs> now you're not required to receive Christ to come here, but you're not you're not, you're not part of the body of Christ until you receive Christ. And so uh, you know, but we, as a body, are going to dwell in unity. It's a blessing. Okay. Um, so, let me just recap a couple things in closing. I'm not done on the oil and wine. We're going to bring out a couple more scriptures uh, from Isaiah and a couple more uh, next week, uh, actually two weeks from now. But So we have the birth of God's Christ Church. And at the birth of Christ Church at Pentecost, they began to speak in tongues. And as they began to speak in tongues, and, he, and people from their native language heard them speak no tongue. They, they thought they were drunk with wine. Peter gets up and addresses the crowd. He says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. But they are. Been, this is what happened in Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse uh, thir, uh, 24, he said, and actually let's go there just in closing. If you're here, if you can. Joel chapter 2, verse 24. He says, your threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. I'll read it again. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. And then he goes on, and he talks about how he will restore the years that the, uh, the enemy has eaten. He says in verse 46, you shall have plenty and be satisfied. How many of you know, if you have the oil and the wine, you should be satisfied? And praise the name of the Lord who has dealt wonderfully with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. 
He talks about how he's going to pour out his spirit upon his days. He, there's eight things that he says, and I'll do this. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. There's eight things here. It, I mean, I know, I know I'm, 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 I'm rushing through this a little bit for the sake of time. But he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And in Mount Zion, he, he, he ends it. He says, there, there's going to be deliverance. Let's go down there real quick. Uh, um, Uh, verse 32 and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance this goes back to the, the Jericho road this goes back to what I was exhorting you earlier and a minute ago some of you have been wounded for various reasons maybe it's your own sin or someone's sinned against you <coughs> or violated you in a horrific way or, or whatever, or maybe you've had some big disease or whatever, or you had an accident where you've lost a member of your body, or whatever the case may be, you've had a divorce or something worse, or whatever the case may be, and you need deliverance. The Holy Spirit, whoever called upon the name of the Lord, Mount Zion and Jerusalem, his bride shall be delivered. The Holy Spirit has come. God, the, the Good Samaritan, your neighbor, came to you, not just not just to lick your wounds, but to deliver you, to give you oil and wine, put you on this beast, take you in the inn, and get the innkeeper to deliver you, to rescue, you, to restore you. Not just so you can be saved and miserable, saved and, and going through all this stuff. No, the Holy Spirit wants to deliver you, so that going back to verse twenty-four, your batter, your vessel, because you. The vessels are talking about you, the people. We are jars of clay. God wants to fill these vessels with his spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews says we are the house of God. We are the tabernacle not made with hands. And God wants to fill you with his oil and wine so your fast are overflowing. So you can minister to other people. He says, he's... You know, Acts 2 was the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost, where wine and oil came. It was overflowing with wine and oil. And there were signs and wonders. And he's still doing this. He's still doing His vessels, his church, should be overflowing with oil and wine. We should see people being saved. We should be people seeing people full of the Holy Spirit. That's one thing I appreciate about Andrew Womack's ministry, <coughs> some other ministries we like, they are growing out the seams even in this climate. They're growing, 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 uh, you know, in every which way, shape, or form, not just in people, but finances in every which way, and they are being effective. And even this church, you might not see a lot, but in the last few months, we are, are, are I mean, just about a year ago, we had less than 100 people following us on YouTube. Now we have over 6,000. That's awesome. And I'm not saying we have the same, same results as some of these other churches. I'm not comparing with them. <coughs> what I'm looking at, I'm, you know, comparing yourselves among yourselves is not wise. Paul talks about that. That's not wise. But I do want to compare myself to Scripture. Are we seeing the results Scripture says we should have? And for us to grow, for us to see fruit, is good. Do I want to see more fruit? Absolutely. 100%, 1,000%. At the same point in time, I'm not okay with no fruit. 
That's not healthy. That's not good. That's not how God, there should be an overflowing of oil and wine. And God has set people free. And God is using us to set people free. Maybe not the numbers we want to do. At the same point in time, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Andrew, Dwayne, all these other men, they have a team. We don't have a team. <laughs> we can only do so much with two. But if we had a team, I think we'd reach more people. But at the same point in time, I'm content with where we're at, but we're growing. And there's a lot of I, rabbit trails I can go on every day I'm just saying right now. I'm just talking about the, their vats were overflowing with new wine. Okay? And so, anyway, that's, I, I think I'm just going to end on that note. We're going to pick it up next week. Uh, recap a little bit of this next week, and then we'll go into Isaiah 28, and we'll talk about this. And, uh, and there's some other scriptures that we're going to look at um, in, in comparison. Uh, we'll be, and then we're, we're on the homework stretch. So, like I said, when I began this message, uh, we're going to take a pause next week for Easter Sunday. i got to give a minute. Easter message talking about beholding our resurrected King. And then we're going to come back the week after and uh, we'll finish this up however long it takes. So, um, so I imagine we'll, we have about two or three more weeks uh, still left in this uh, series. So, um, anyway, Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, uh, I don't know how much of this we're retaining. But, Lord, the, thing that's, the, the, the thought that's resounding in my heart, I want my vats overflowing with oil and wine. Lord, uh, thank you for your being our healer. Thank you for being our savior. And also thank you for being our teacher and our guide and the filling us with your spirit. Thank you for the oil. You know, you know, you even call it in Isaiah 61, you call it the oil of gladness for the spirit of mourning. We want, we need some gladness. We need some Holy Spirit wine. We need to stop licking our wounds and we need to dance and we need to celebrate and we need to reach people with your gospel. We worship you. We magnify you. We, you know, just like they celebrated Palm Sunday over 2,000 years ago, celebrating the king coming to Jerusalem. Lord, you are our king. And we are Jerusalem. And we say, Hosanna, Hosanna to our king. Glory to God in the highest. And good, good will and peace towards men. Hallelujah. Praise you. We worship you. We magnify bless us as we go. In your name we give you thanks. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. We talk about the Word of God.